Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Sitting down today with Jerome Dingle, we discuss a lot of things about his military career, and we definitely get into a pivotal point in his life, which is the Equal Opportunity Advisor course, something that he's very, very passionate about, and he's carried on into his career today as a civilian, doing things with mental health and counseling. So just want to highlight that. And with that, enjoy the show. Welcome everybody once again to Retire.Army where we discuss all things retirement transition and everything in between when it comes to getting out of the military and retiring. Uh, today I'm joined by Jerome Dingle and he will be walking us through his journey and we'll be discussing some of the topics that we normally discuss and getting down into some rabbit holes of things that we may or may not normally discuss. So with all that, welcome to the show, Jerome. Glad to have you aboard. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. It's a it's a big time time uh, it's a big time constraint to have, but uh, I'm glad you agreed to it. And so, just to get started, uh, let's actually dive down a left turn, which I like to do all the time. And let me just ask you real quick about your morning routine now versus your morning routine while you were still in the military. How, how does that look? What are some differences and similarities? Okay, so right now my morning routine is more one of, I still do physical fitness. Um, so on average, I will wake up, um, I get my, my backpack the night before, uh, load it into the car, go to the gym, I'll work out, shower there, and then from there, I'll go to work and start my day. So when I was in the military, um, PT was always a must. So uh, near the end of my career, I would wake up about zero five. I would go to the gym and work out. And then I would go and do PT with the unit. And then of course, home, shower and start my day. So not too different, just a, a different context of being out of the military and not having to put on a uniform. Is that right? That is correct. So let me go ahead and ask you, if you could just give us a brief background of uh, where you are originally from, um, where you came into the military, and maybe you know a highlight reel of some of the things you might want to point out from your military career. And if you could, uh, as far as coming into the military, uh, could you put us in a time and place of where you were at mentally and physically your headspace, what kind of decision allowed you to, you know, make the leap and jump into military service? So um, I joined the New Jersey National Guard in 1987, well, February 1987, uh, at the guidance of a good friend's father who was actually in the Guard. My father did 24 years, so I knew about the military. I understood the lifestyle and things of that nature. Um, the purpose of joining the Guard was to go to college and have the Guard pay for college, um, which I did. I uh, did the split option thing where you did uh, basic training after summer of high school, go to college, come back, do your AIT, and then, you know, you're done. Um, so in the middle of the split option piece, school had already started by the time I got back from my AIT, so I was late. And I decided to sit out. 
started working with the New Jersey Guard as a tech, as a mechanic, which is what I was trained to do. You know, young man, money got good. And I decided to shift college a little longer. Uh, December of 89, when we invaded Panama, things were happening personally in my life. And at that point in time, I was like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I kind of wanted an adventure. I want to see the world, so to speak. And at that point in time, I went and saw a active duty recruiter and started the process to switch over. Um, all of that was finalized. And in April of 1990, I uh, went on to OSID at Fort Knox so I could be an armored reconnaissance specialist, AKA a cavalry scout, 19 Delta. From there, uh, first duty station was Fort Carson, HHC 212 Infantry, the Scout Platoon. And from that point on, um, my career started and, and just had a great time until I retired in January of, of 2015. Um, did the airborne thing for a large portion of my career. Um, that was very pivotal in shaping me as a leader. And then I went to the Equal Opportunity Advisor course in 2004. And that was instrumental in shaping my mindset to where I am today. Um, we used to joke about it opening Pandora's box. And once that box is now open and you've been exposed to all this material that they were teaching us, you can't close it and you never see the outside world the same way again. And that pretty much led me to where I am today as a therapist and as a licensed clinical social worker. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's a, it's very interesting how those, those little twists and turns happen and, and lead you down this path. I think I kind of, I'm not a clinical uh, physician or anything like that, or um, mental health specialist, but I, I do have a, a pretty extensive background as far as the army is concerned with doing MRT and, diving down the psychology and the sociology rabbit holes and reading everything I could get my hands on to understand, basically to understand myself, but it also as a side effect helps you understand people better uh, because you have a better working knowledge of, you know, how people operate, how the human mind works, how humans in general behave, uh, which really hasn't changed for, you know, tens of thousands of years, but we, we like to think we're more, sophisticated nowadays, but we're really pretty much the same, you know, uh, prehistoric people that we were, we just have a little, <laughs> a little bit more technology and a little bit more, uh, uh, distractions in our, in our lives. That is true. Um, I'd always joke about the equal opportunity advisor course and when people would talk about it's something that they should go to something they should consider. I would always, uh, compare it to ranger school. I would say if Ranger School is going to enhance you tactically and how to operate on the battlefield, then the Equal Opportunity Advisor course will enhance you mentally and how to deal with people. And let me just ask, when you, when you started to go down that, to pull that thread on that particular, what led you to, to your career today, um, can you walk me down the path of like maybe it started out from there, but then what was like the next kind of few steps that you took along that path to get where you are today in your career? Okay, so in 2008, my second wife filed for divorce while I was overseas in Korea. 
um, made life incredibly, incredibly difficult for me. Prior to me going to Korea, I had already started to see a counselor to try and understand some things about myself and, and my marriage. Uh, at the time, my ex-wife said that because you went to counseling, that is why our marriage is is is, is in it in kaputs. So after she filed for divorce, I contacted that same therapist and said, "Hey, look, when I get back, I'm going to be getting a divorce, and I need to get myself I need to get myself right." Um, and her helping me get where I am today started me on this journey. She took her life in November 20th of 2011. And that, that hit me kind of hard. And one of the lieutenants that I worked with while I was doing a Bullock as a first sergeant at Fort Knox, um, he was down here for bidding and we connected on Facebook and he's like, Hey top, you know, I'd love to have lunch with you. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So we have lunch and he starts talking about this book, which is on that bookcase behind me. Uh, it's called Real Life Management by Wayne Nam. And the book is very similar to, uh, shall I say, it's more of his, his mindset of how you, should how you can find a career. And his methodology is that we're all pre-wired to do things in life. And if you can figure out what that is earlier on in life, you're more apt to be happy, successful, et cetera, et cetera. So you can go online and take this little test and he breaks you down into three types of personalities. Um, sailboat, barge, and tugboat. Um, tugboats pull things, barges get pushed, and sailboats have the ability to go with the wind and they have motors so they can kind of kind of steer themselves. So I was qualified or I was considered a, a sailboat. So what, what the little test is designed to do is to wet your whistle and make you go buy his book, you know, like with anything. So, but as you start reading the book, you start learning some things and it talks about the career paths that a sailboat would be good for coach, teach, uh, teacher, excuse me, uh, and things like that. And one of them was a social worker. And I was like, whatever. And then I thought of the acronym LCSW. So I contacted my therapist, her daughter, and say, hey, I remember seeing the acronym LCSW by your mother's name. And she was like, yeah, mom was an LCSW. And I was like, okay, okay, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an LCSW, I'm going to be a therapist, and I'm going to finish what Betty started. And that is how I ended up running down that path to become a licensed clinical social worker. It's, it's hard to lose people. And I just want to let you know, I just, I'm really sorry about that. I'm sure she was somebody who was important in your life for many, many different reasons. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, let me let me just say that first and foremost. Um, I do want to ask. So you said licensed uh, LCSW, licensed uh, the acronym again. Clinical. Okay. Social worker. Licensed clinical social worker. Okay, I just wanted to highlight that and make sure that I, I had that tagged. 
and then also the uh, the personality test that you referred to. I assume that it's in the book, but um, could you uh, tell us what that personality test is, or maybe I can put it in the show notes afterwards as well. Um, it was similar to I've already taken the MBTI, which I had to take when I went to Theomi, which is where the Equal Opportunity Advisor course is. So it's it's similar to that. It asks a lot of questions that are targeting your personality, likes, dislikes, things of that nature, but it's on a much smaller scale versus the MBTI. Uh, I believe the MBTI was almost 200 questions we got asked. This one, I think it's like maybe about 15 or 20, give or take. Okay. And in your experience, uh, just over the years of working in this field that you've done, are there any other personality tests that you might that might stand out as really really good measurements of somebody's personality? Anything like the uh, was it the the dark triad is one. There's a few of them out there. Are there any that stick out particularly in your mind that are really good if somebody would want to go take a personality test and start to go down that path of self discovery? So the only one I know uh, I have a lot of experience with is the MBTI. Um, that one can be pretty costly and expensive to get it done the right way. Um, there's little quizzes for it, I guess you could say online that will give you an idea or whet your appetite to it. But um, I don't know any any free ones that you can just go on there and you know figure out what your personality is. Um, I was fortunate that that was part of the Yomi curriculum and I got exposed to it and that's how I ended up taking the MBTI. Okay. And the the MBTI, uh, can we get that acronym spelled out as well? And I'll put that also in the show notes. Sure. So that's uh, Mike Bravo Tango India. And it stands for the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. Okay. I thought that's what it was, but I just wanted to make sure that the Myers-Briggs thing was sticking in my mind. So I know that test for sure. Good. We'll, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Let me transition to a different topic, and that would be the topic of you uh, going through your last, say, six to 12 months, maybe even longer, of the process of getting out of the military. Um, can you give us um, like the, the trigger point or the, the final decision point that you took that then said, okay, it's time to drop my paperwork, it's time to go ahead and get out, and then uh, anything along that process that maybe stood out as far as good, bad, uh, different that you might want to point out? And I'm a pretty transparent guy. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, probably we were about 45 days out from getting ready to go to Afghanistan. I was part of the G35 staff at uh, 18th Airborne Corps. Um, we took a PT test. And I had failed the height and weight by 1%. I didn't really think much of it. And I was up in uh, squadron headquarters. I mean, battalion headquarters, excuse me. And the sergeant major saw me, asked me to step into his office. And he brought up the fact that I failed height and weight. And I was like, sergeant major, I understand it's 1%. You catch me on a Wednesday, I pass. You catch me on a Thursday, I may fail. And then he started down the trail of, well, you know, we've been putting soldiers out for failing. And I said, hey, I understand, Sergeant Major. 
I don't want to cause anybody no heartaches. How about I just go ahead and retire? And then he was like, well, I, I'm, well, let us check. And I said, hey, you know what, Sergeant Major, you, you do what you need to do. I, I totally understand. I immediately walked out of his office, went straight downstairs to the S1, and said, hey, I need a retirement packet. Um, everyone came out from around cubicles. They're staring at me. And they're like, what? And I was like, yes, um, I need a retirement packet. So um, I went to a good friend of mine's house. Uh, he's currently a three-star general right now. And his father served with my father, uh, good friends. And he's like another dad. So I went to him. Uh, he was cutting grass in the backyard. He came back in the house. You know, I had water in my eyes. He's like, you know, what's going on? I, I explained to him what's going on. And, and, and he said, you know what, Jay? I, I think it's time for you to go. And I said, okay, we talked for about another 20, 30 minutes. And then I went home and I called another gentleman who was also a Sergeant Major, retired, who had served with my father. Um, he was also like another father to me. Got on the phone with him, tears in the eyes, telling him I wasn't done. I, I still felt I had things I needed to do, so on and so forth. I got it all out, and he says, okay, Jay, are you ready for me to tell you what you don't want to hear? I said, what's that, Tommy? He said, Jay, it's time to go. He said, they're telling you it's time to go. He said, I want, he said, I want you to think about this. He said, how old are you? And at the time, I want to say I was, uh, I think I was like 45, 44. He goes, you have a whole nother career to go to get where I'm at. You've got a whole nother 20 years of a career you got to do before you can retire. And that's when it hit me. It made perfect sense. I was like, I can literally join the Army today, do another 20 years, and I'll be retired at 64, 65. So um, I got off the phone with him. I called my wife who was living down here in Columbus because I was doing the, the geo bachelor thing. And I said, hey, um, I need you to crunch all your numbers. On Sunday, I'm calling you and we're gonna have a conversation about our finances. I said, if it's green to green across the board, come Monday, I'm dropping my retirement packet. And she started getting, you know, she was crying. I'll do what I need to do. You know, she's a small business owner. So she was like, don't worry about it. I, I got it. I just, I just want you to move down here. Um, and that's what sped up the process of me getting out. Um, another way I also look at it is I'm a pretty spiritual person and I believe in signs. And I truly believe this was something, as I like to call him, the big jump master this guy wanted me to do. Um, he knows my mindset. Uh, he knows what I believe and how I operate. And I believe he put that obstacle in front of me because he knew I was not going to change direction unless there was something drastic in my way that made me change direction. So I share that to say, because since that happened, I haven't had any problems getting where I am today. 
I had no, no problems getting here. So once I turned in my retirement paperwork and started down that path, no issues. Um, I went to the retirement course and classes that we were retired to go to, um, submitted all my paperwork for, for VA claims, submitted my paperwork to get tuition assistance post 9-11. So I wanna say from the time I decided to retire and all of that done was probably about 90 days. So in 90 days I had, I was done. I had everything laid out. I'd already came down here to visit my wife, went to Troy, went ahead and applied for the January 2015 semester. So literally within 90 days, I was, I was locked in. And from that point forward, I just assisted the rear D first sergeant, the commander, and whatever they needed, um, performed jump master duties, had a great time doing that, running ranges for the first sergeant and the team. Great time with that. Um, I had another master sergeant that was working with me. I, I thank him to this day because he was like, why don't you go collect some classes? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to college. I don't need that. He's like, dude, you're not doing anything. Go collect some classes. And uh, I thank him for that because I, I knocked out nine semester hours in two months, which shortened my time in school uh, drastically. So when all that was, you know, so I left Fort Bragg in October of 2014. I got down here to Columbus area, kind of just chilled uh, January of 2015. I started college at Troy University to get my bachelor's in social work, and, and I started moving. Uh, two years later, I had my bachelor's. Um, I had to sit out a year because they restructured the master's and bachelor's program, but we had to wait a year, and then I entered the master's program on the advanced placement, but then I got to do my master's in 12 months or less. So I graduated with my master's in July, June, July of 2019. But um, no matter what was going on between the time I decided to retire until the time I got my master's, I, I literally had no problems at all. I mean, it seemed like doors, as I would walk to a door, it's like you're hitting the sensor, door would just open up. Um, met a lot of great people, had a lot of great opportunities that would advance me as an LCSW when it was time for me to take my exam, a lot of things I got to learn, a lot of agencies I got to work with, a lot of exposure, whether it be on TV or on podcasts or, or what have you. But it just seemed like when I look back at it, it, it it's, it's clear to me this is where I was supposed to be. Because sometimes for me, when you're doing things that you're not supposed to do, you know, you might run into an obstacle, you know, Paperwork is delayed, you know, things of that nature. But for me, it was the smoothest transition you could ever want. Um, so I, I firmly believe that this is where I was supposed to be, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be a therapist, and I'm supposed to be helping people. Yeah, it's incredible. That's uh, I don't really ever hear that too often, that it's such a smooth journey. And, of course, 2015 is a little bit different time frame. I 
think they were doing tap then. I don't know if it was called tap, but I know we did a uh, retirement transition. It was about three or four days long. Yeah, and it's since I guess since then they've they've consolidated consolidated everything into tap, and it's basically uh, I want to say it's about a week worth of seminars and briefings and stuff you have to go through, but it's probably really close and similar. It's not It's not the ACAP of before where you just go in and they look at your resume and then they kick you out the door. Uh, it's definitely right. not that anymore. It's, it's a little bit more refined and they still got a, a little ways to go to get it really, really good. But um, I did want to ask you one thing as far as what you mentioned about working in a job or working in a situation that may or may not be good for you and how much that um, you get kind of tunnel vision, right? You're, you're in a job, you're in a career, you've been doing it for 10 or 15 or 20 years and you just get this kind of tunnel vision and you don't really see the peripheral outside of what you're actually doing to be able to come to those kind of realization moments. And it's good to hit those, those, those little roadblocks along the way. Um, because otherwise you get this kind of uh, survivorship bias whenever you're you're dealing with a job where it may or may not be fun, you may not be enjoying it anymore, and you really don't know what else to do because that's all you've done for you know a decade or two. Um, along those lines, what I what I wanted to ask was, are there any massive failures that you may have experienced either in the military career or in your current career? or even throughout your life that maybe then turned into future successes. So say something happened, uh, a big setback, and it was a kind of a blessing in disguise. Anything like that that sticks out in your mind that, that you can point to? I would say the, probably the biggest would be failing the, 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 the tape test because the tape test pushed me um, down this road. Uh, you could look at maybe how I was as a leader. Um, and I was raised in the airborne community. So it was a lot of, you need to be, you're, you're expect, there was a lot of expectations. So you need to operate. If you're put in a position, you need to operate. And I took that to heart. Um, it was brought to my attention after I retired by one of my, one of the young guys I served with, who was a star major at the time. And he said, the reason you didn't go as far as you did is because you didn't hang out. You know, you didn't go to, you know, have lunch with the SAR major. You didn't do these type of things. And he goes, some people could perceive your attitude of, I have a job to do to execute it as arrogance. And he said, now, I know you're not. He said, I know how you were raised because you raised me. We're expected to do a job. And you shouldn't be running to the SAR major every five minutes with a problem because if you are, then clearly you're not capable of doing this job. He said, but some people will take your inability to reach out to them as you snubbing your nose at them. And I said, I, you know, I, I, I can see that. You know, if, if I'm going to be fair, I can see how some people may take that. Because to me, my job is to keep you out of my house, plain and simple. As long as I'm taking care of my business and First Sergeant Dingle's name isn't coming out of your mouth, 
then you don't have to worry about me because I'm taking care of business. I'm taking care of my soldiers. I'm taking care of my troop. But again, he said, some people are going to take that as in you act like you don't need them. So that hampered me from making Sergeant Major, I believe, but also that would have gotten away of me getting where I am because I possibly would have stayed in the army longer and who knows what would have happened to me. But by those things happening again, the heightened weight and me having to lift and shift and change, you know, change my azimuth. Um, I, I look back on it and to me, that was like the best thing that could possibly happen. Um, no regrets at all. Yeah. That, and, and as you said, you were in an airborne <laughs> capacity in an airborne unit surrounded by airborne people like that's a lot of alpha males and females in the same kind of scenario and same situation um i i hear what he was saying as far as the the arrogance kind of like who's taking it arrogantly or not but at the same time that's not even on you that's on them that's how they perceive you right and so yes there's kind of a back and forth where like yes you could be more of a community member, right? But at the same time, like they also have a responsibility if they want to know more about you to come reach out to you. So I don't really think that's on your shoulders, at least 98% not because, you know, people perceive what they perceive. Um, it's interesting. It's an interesting little rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> I, I would, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts now from a clinical standpoint, like not medical advice or anything like that, but just a personal kind of standpoint based on your learnings and your teachings over these years doing what you've been doing so far. Um, do, like, do you agree or disagree with that? Or do, what do you think about that? When you go back to when I was getting a, that divorce from my second wife in 2008, 2009, I did a lot of reading, um, trying to understand who I was as a person, and how I could be, for lack of a better word, a better person. Um, my soldiers, God bless them, because I was always throwing these little quibits and quotes out to them on Friday formations and stuff, you know, be a better you, all this self-help type stuff. It's kind of funny looking back. But one of the things I did struggle with was I realized I used to shrink myself. I, I didn't want to be like, I, I didn't want to be a threat. I didn't want to be intimidating. I didn't want to be that big, that big entity in the room. So I would just be that guy in the back supporting. And um, it's when I stumbled across um, The Secret. I don't know if you know about it. Um, it's, a, you know, metaphysics, gratitude, all these type of things. Like I said, I was heavily trying to figure out how I could manage getting through the divorce and getting on to the other side and being successful. So I had these three quotes on my door. One of them was uh, uh, a small prayer. I had the, I promise. Um, I don't know if you want to call it a poem or writing that was, you know, with the secret. And then I had a piece of the poem. Oh man, what is it? It was in the movie Aquila and a Spelling Bee. And it's an actual longer poem, but it's just that uh, our deepest fears. I think that was it. And I had that on my door. 
And every day when I was in Korea, so every day before I would leave, I would read all three of those. And then I would walk out, hop on my bike and ride down to my troop and I would start my day. Um, that was that was something that was empowering for me, that was helping me get through the turmoil of, of all the drama that was ensuing because of my divorce. But with that poem, Our Deepest Fears, there's a small, there's a small little segment in there that says, um, I, I, I will not shrink, something to the effect of I will not shrink so that my light doesn't offend someone else. And again, I'm paraphrasing. I've got my other laptop or my other computer behind me. I can actually pull it up and read it for you. I don't think that's needed. But that one little piece, it really hit me. And I was like, why do you do that? Why is it when you deal with superiors or peers, you, 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 you downplay? I was like, you've got to stop doing that. Stop making yourself feel small so that other people can feel big. And it was at that point in time, I said, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to not wear my badges because you don't like what I have on my chest. I'm not going to sing the cadences I like to sing. I'm not going to be loud and I'm not going to be boisterous because it, it threatens you. I was like, I'm not doing it. Um, so moving forward to where I am today, I can look back and I can understand, uh, one of my favorite quotes is don't confuse your insecurities with my confidence. And I was like, yeah, I'm running with that one. I was like, you know, I spent way too much time, you know, shrinking so as not to feel like I was a threat to someone else. I said, if you want to perceive I'm a threat, that's a you problem, not a me problem. And I'm not going to change who I am. You know, I'm always going to be professional. I'm always going to be polite. I'm always going to be disciplined. I'm always going to be a, a, a good human being. But don't think for a second I'm going to, you know, downplay who I am or shrink myself because you got issues with it. If you don't like it, you need to go see a therapist. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough line to follow. It's really especially if you don't do the introspection and the self work, right? If you, if you try to analyze that problem set without first understanding yourself, then you'll, you're going to have a lot of struggles with it, like internal, external. Um, but if you do the self work and you start to understand yourself and you start to figure out your quirks and your values and all those different things, and then approach that kind of problem set, I think it makes it a lot more digestible and a lot easier to kind of figure out and navigate and, and in the end, come, come out with, you know, confidence combined with humility, I think would be a really good way to describe it. Um, so I just want to ask you a hypothetical. If you were today asked to come to say a tap office and give a small little briefing, say 20 minutes to a group of retiring, transitioning, you know, getting out for whatever reasons, uh, soldiers, what would the thesis of that talk look like? And like, what are some things that you would tell them? That is a great question. Um, uh, great question. Cause I, I do my best to try and reach back and talk to those who want to be talked to and give information to those who want to receive it. 
Um, and, and, and that's a tough thing because there's so many alphas in the military. Everyone thinks they have a solution. And then once they get out, that solution goes away and then it's, oh, no one helps us. No one does this. And it's like, there's a lot of us that want to help, but you, you don't seem to, to want our help. Um, but I would probably definitely use the book um, by Wayne Nance, Real Life Management. And just to give them something to think about, just to get something to open your mind up and away from military service. I, I tell people what you do in the army should be what you did, not who you are. You know, I was a cavalry scout. Running through the woods, finding the enemy, coming out of planes, shooting Mark 19s and 50 cows and Sheridans and all this other kind of stuff. That is as far as you can possibly get from a social worker. So when I started this journey, and, and again, I got nothing against anybody that wants to drive trucks, be a fireman, be a policeman, any of those jobs, honorable professions. But as much trash that I talk to my soldiers in formation about being better and, and you know, running to your dream and, and, you know, all that empowering stuff. I felt it would have been a disservice for me to not, to, to, to not, to not run with that, which is how I ended up in an occupation that is, is far removed from being a scout or combat arms that you could possibly get. So I would definitely talk about the book to maybe help them get an idea of what they might be wired to do. And then just remind them, your service, be proud of what you did, own what you did, you know, and, and love what you did. But but it's not who you are. You're much more than the sum of your 20, 25, five years of service. Use that as a launch pad into your next life. Don't allow that to define you. Well, I can only do a job like this because of this or I can only do this because I only got out as an E4. No, I know some kid, one of, one of the guys I served with, he got out as a specialist. This guy's a multimillionaire um, doing uh, real estate deals. It's shocking. I'm like, this is a little snot-nosed kid from across the hall. And he's making millions selling real estate, commercial real estate. So the ability for you to do more is there. You just got to want to. And and don't don't sell yourself short with with with, with just military. You know, I only have I only associate with military guys. I don't want to talk to you because you're a civilian. You know, I don't I don't feel they, you know, no one understands us. Everyone's all full of it. We're all full of crap. All of us. Civilians, military, retirees, we're all the same. Find someone that's moving in the way that you want to move and walk with them. I've never seen someone tell someone, no, I'm not talking to you. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to share my, my success or I don't want to share what I did that got me here. I'm not going to tell you. It's a secret. I've never seen anyone do that. I've seen people say, hey, come talk to me. I'd love to share it with you. 
And I've seen people not take them up on their offer. So if I was talking to someone or if I was talking to a group of young soldiers, I definitely talk about the book from Wayne Nance. I, I definitely remind them that they are more than the sum of their careers and what they did in the military. And to, to, to think big, you know, if, if that's your dream, if that's what you want to do, I guarantee there's somebody that would love to have you walk with them. Find them. And, and don't stop until you find them. And along the same lines, uh, it sounded like um, leaning towards mentorship at the end there, what you were saying. Do you have any advice, tips, tricks, or any kind of methodology that you use? I know you mentioned the now three-star general, uh, a sergeant major that you had, but I think a lot of times, especially the the generation uh, after our generation, uh, they have a little bit difficulty finding, reaching out, figuring out how to get a mentor, or if mentors are even important, which I kind of feel that they are. Um, on many on on a very broad spectrum like it doesn't have to be like you meet with them every week for coffee or something like that you don't want to pick their brain because nobody wants their brain picked it's not a pleasant thing <laughs> to have but um is there anything that you would recommend or any ways that you've figured out to be able to find hunt down uh get in touch with a mentor and build that mentor mentee relationship oh that's a great question because I, I guess you could say I cheated because my father served. I understood the military and the army and a lot of the individuals that he served with, I, I could reach out to them and get that mentorship. Um, but I, I think with to, in today's society, everyone seems to be so, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Secluded? Everyone's in their little boxes? You know, when a lot of us were coming in the military, when we did these big functions, it was like, yeah, it's mandatory fun, but it was also about networking. And you you got to, you, you got to find those mentors because, you know, I, I would have guys pull me aside and be like, hey, you 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 a little too little too high strung there, Corporal. Gonna need you to throttle it back. And then they would start talking to me about why and how I needed to carry myself and things of that nature. So as I grows in the ranks, you know, um, I, I wanted to give that back. I wanted to I wanted to be that. So I did my best to help anybody and anyone that wanted it. Um, some of me and my retired buddies now, you know, we talk about that we wish we could start something like some kind of mentoring thing where, where we can. And, and we did, we started a group on Facebook um, where we were trying to help develop young NCOs, but no one's biting. It, it, it seems like no one wants that mentor until it's too late. You know, the officers do an outstanding job of it. They have to have mentors at least as far as I know, I'm sure there may be some that fell through the cracks that didn't have them. But on average, on average, the officer corps does an amazing job of networking and mentoring junior officers. 
Benchio court, not so much. Why? I'm not really sure. I have my ideas, but nothing that's factual. It's just my personal feelings and what I feel about it. But I, I would definitely tell an, a young soldier or young leader in today's army, go find you a mentor. Find someone that's going to tell you what you need to be doing as a corporal, as a sergeant, as a staff sergeant, and so on. And if you don't have a mentor, reach out. There's somebody out there that you could, that, that you might be able to pick their brain and get some some guidance and, and some direction from. And then once you have that, start pulling people behind you. Start being somebody else's mentor. You would be surprised how much you can learn from other people when you're trying to teach them. It'll cause you to be a, a better mentor or go in and get that information that you were trying to pull out and, and give to someone else. Um, and there's a lot of retirees. Um, find them and ask them, what, what did you do? How did you get where you're at? I, I've been retired since 2023 and I've had, I've had three people contact me and the other ones, I contacted them and told them. And I was like, Hey, if you're thinking about getting a loan, do not tell them you're going to retire. I found it out the hard way. They're going to want the 60, 90 days worth of pay stubs and all of that. I said, get your letter. If you are getting out, get your letter. Go get your loan. And don't tell them squat. Uh, young man calls me back and was like, hey, man, I'm glad you told me. He was like, I was able to get my home loan or whatever. And then he went on and retired. So. You know, it's, it's little small things like that that no one even thinks of. And they're like, well, I got my VA loan. I'm going to go get my house. And they're like, well, you're on transition leave. You don't have a job. Well, you know, yeah, we're not, yeah, we're, you're not getting a loan. No. So I would tell guys, hey, do not let them know you're getting out of the military. Get your loan. Get that house. Get mama settled in. And then, and then continue on what you're doing. And at least you don't have to worry about it that way. Um, so I was fortunate that when my wife was looking at buying a house, we got stopped. Because who knows? I, I wouldn't have found this great house I'm in now had we kept moving in that direction.
so what I want to do is kind of go back in time and uh, take a, a journey back into your childhood around 16. doesn't have to necessarily be 16, 16, 17, 18, somewhere around there, uh, where you were at emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, where you would meet up with yourself and what kind of, if you, if you had like 30 minutes to say, talk to yourself and just have a sit down chat, where would you find yourself at in life? And what kind of chat would you have with yourself? Oh, so the 16 year old self was still under the impression that he was probably going to go to co go to college and play football or become an architect. Um, so looking back, I, I would definitely tell myself to work, work hard. Um, you know, in practice, give it all you got, you know, um, just, just play to your heart's content, you know, in class, you know, work a little harder, you know, especially in math, which is, wasn't my strong suit, you know, um, I would talk to him about being a little more studious and start thinking about doing things or operating in a manner that you're going to be proud of, or you're not going to look back and say, I wish I would have did more of this, or I wish I would have tried that. You know, I would tell him, try out for the baseball team. I know you think you're going to be this great, wonderful track and football star, but baseball runs in our family, so go play baseball too. You know, um, little things like that. Um, I, I wouldn't sh tell him anything about heartbreak and and things of that nature because I, I think those are all things that help shape you in the long run, and we all need those things. They have to happen, and for us to be um, total and complete people. So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do any of that. Um, but, you know, just, just talking to him and, and telling him not to worry about some things. Just enjoy being 16. Enjoy being 17. Because you're going to grow up and you're going to have responsibilities and there's going to be life and you're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. But you're, but you're going to be okay. You know? And I tell him, talk with your dad. Ask him about Vietnam. Talk to him. Because he's not always going to be there. And you're not going to get a chance to get those questions that you had, that you kept saying, I'll do it another time. I'll do it another time. Sit and talk with your dad. Definitely. I wasn't expecting that one at all. Yeah, and if you need to take a second, I understand. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. That was very... Um, very personal and, and very raw. And uh, thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, my dad was a soldier. You know, he was tough. 
things of that nature, uh, like a lot of a lot of dads. And you know, I didn't really understand my dad too much. And you know, as I got older, there were questions I had about his time in Vietnam and things of that nature, and just things about his life in general. And I just always kept saying, you know, I, you know, next time I go home, you know, see my mom and my dad, you know, I'll bring it up. And you know, I never. There's so many questions that I had that I never got answered. Um, and that bothers me to this day. Um, but I have a lot of all his military documentation, certificates, everything he has. I actually brought it home with me. My mom was like, I, I know he would want you to have it. So go ahead and take it. So I've, I've got a lot of my dad's, uh, a lot of my dad's stuff uh, here. Um, and I spent nights reading through his 201 file and uh, and looking at you know all that stuff um because for me it's you know it's part of history and um so uh it caught me off guard a little bit but you know that's like i said i'm i'm not coming on your podcast to be this little robot and you know say all the right things i'm i'm going to be an honest person and uh like you said you you want me to share my story and and i appreciate that and so i want people to see you know, this, this is what it looks like when you're, when someone is sharing their story, you got your highs and you got your lows and you, you, you have real things that get in the way of you serving sometimes and, and things of that nature. But, um, yeah, the, if, if, if I'm not going back there to tell the 16 year old to buy the house and avoid certain women and, and all these other things, then, you know, I'm just going to tell him to really do his best in high school, you know, um, don't sell himself short, you know, work a little harder in the math classes. And, you know, if you're going to be on the football field, give it everything. Don't, don't make excuses about your size and things of that nature. Don't be intimidated by other people. Just play and do your best and do things and, and not worry about the peer pressure of what other people want you to play or other people want you to do. Just enjoy yourself because, you know, uh, as you get older, you, you can't do some things. You're not going to get to do certain things, but, um, but enjoy, enjoy what you have, you know, ask that girl out. Who cares if she says no, just, just don't be afraid to, to live your life and enjoy yourself. That's definitely what I would tell, you know, uh, a 16 year old Jerome. If, if I'm not going to be telling them stuff to make money in the future. <laughs> right. Yeah. Again, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And uh, thank you for sharing that. And you're right. This is really about, I mean, my overarching kind of idea about this whole podcast is really not only capturing the, the, the military journey and, and tips and tricks and tactics and things like that, but also just, I want Jerome's great, great grandchildren to be able to sit down and watch this video at some point in the future and be like, huh, that's how great, great granddad really was. And that's who he was and get, get a little bit more insight into who you are as a person. And, and, you know, the things that I, I experienced something very similar with my father and he passed at a very young age. He was 61 when he passed. And that mm, was a, wow extremely pivotal moment in my life and it happened within like the moment i got the call and then i went and within let's say 24 hours he was basically gone i was there 
but that moment really changed the trajectory of my life uh, in a lot of different ways. And so, yeah, I, I, I deeply, deeply empathize with, with what you were saying on, on a very deep level. But yeah, thank you for that. Well, thank you um, for sharing too. Let me shift over to a different gear and let's, cause I know we've talked about a few books already, aside from the books that you've already mentioned, what, what is like your Mount Rushmore of, of really, really impactful books that you've read and, and maybe why, but you don't have to go into the why, but if there's any like top four. Oh man. Um, I didn't do, I was never really a big reader um, growing up. I, I loved comic books and I, I, I greatly thank comic books because comic books taught me how to speak and they taught me how to read. And it, it's, it's weird how something so mundane. And the reason I was looking back is because I was looking at a book and I was, I, I was trying to think what book did I have I read that really just touched, I don't want to say touched my soul, but really made me think about life, about where I was at in my life and what I was doing and the type of person I had become. Um, I, I can't really say there is one. Um, there's probably been more instances or things I've been exposed to in my life that have made me, you know, take a step back and really, really look at who I am and figure out who I am. Um, so if I can't use a book, I would definitely have to say um, going to the Equal Opportunity course in Florida at, at the OMI, um, that that was a life-changing school for me because I had a very specific mindset growing up and I thought one way, kind of one-dimensional and it that that school really made me see that that you know there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of things going on in society. There's a whole lot of reasons why um and and to give a small story you know the you learn all these different aspects while you're in that school and they all are sequential and progressive so they build upon one another and i remember the day it finally hit me in class um and i was i, I was sitting next to my instructor and i and i kind of chuckled to myself and he goes you know, hey, Sergeant Dingle, what you, what you smiling about? And I had this big grin on my face, and I said, I get it. And he's like, what do you get? I said, I get why the drug dealer's on the corner. And he cocks his head to the side, he leans a little bit, gets a little smirk, and he's like, explain, elaborate on that for me. And I said, well, you know, I said, that drug dealer wasn't made overnight. I said, he's a product of like the last 60, 70 years worth of stuff that has happened in our society. I said, now I'm not, I'm not saying he's right for being there. 
I said, but I am saying, I understand the circumstances of him getting there. And he looked at me and he smiled and he got up out of his, his nice little high back leather chair. And he's like, here, you sit down. You're going to sit in my chair the rest of class. He was like, learning has occurred. So me coming to that realization was me coming full circle from my attitude when I first got there 10, 12 weeks earlier. Because I was of the mindset, because of the way I was raised, my father was in the military and what I was exposed to. And even though I had cousins in Camden, New Jersey, and in Philly, and in the ghettos, I, I still had this attitude. And my attitude was, I don't care how bad your life is, you could always raise your right hand and join the military. That was, that was my solution to everything as a young black guy. Just join the army. Join the army, join the navy, join the marine. Don't, it don't matter. Join one of them, and it's going to make your life better. And it was through that course that I was shown that, you know, I was looking at, I was looking at this one little picture. And I was ignoring that it was on this huge tapestry. And this huge tapestry had all these chords, all these colors, all these other pictures, and how they were all intermingling, and they were all working together to create this tapestry. And me being as young as I was and, and not understanding life, um, all I could see was that one picture. And my attitude was, if you don't like your life, go join the Army. I didn't understand about the ASFAB. I didn't understand about education, so to speak. I didn't understand about having to pass the ass. None of that. It never factored into my thinking. My thinking was real simple. You should go join the army and you'll have a great life. I never understood that there's some people who couldn't join the army. You know, I never understood that, you know, because this guy didn't have a dad and these things happened to him, he ended up where he was at. I always felt like it was your choice. You made the conscious decision to to do X, Y, or Z. And granted, I'm not saying people aren't responsible or accountable for their, for their actions. But what that school taught me was it just never is black and white. You know, you might get 100 people, and out of that 101, it might have just been a, a clear-cut decision, I'm going to go do wrong, and that's it. But everyone else, you know... You know, because we because as you're learning in that school, you learn all these different aspects, and you know they were talking about education, and they were talking about how teachers were working in some schools, and when the funding started dropping and things of that nature, they would go to another school. So I go from getting the top top ten percent of the teachers that working for me. Now I'm getting I don't want to call them the bottom feeders, but now I'm getting those those teachers that barely pass teaching school. So they're coming into a school behind the power curve. They've got an attitude. You know, Johnny's great-grandmother had to work. Johnny's mother had to work. No one pushed education, so Johnny doesn't appreciate education. I've got a crap teacher. I've got a crap student. And when you start adding all these other millions and millions of things together, you end up with a kid who eventually just gives up and says, why should I go and work at McDonald's making $10, $12 an hour when I can stand on the corner for four, for four hours or less and make three or $400. And I ain't got to sweat. I ain't got to, I ain't got to answer to nobody, so to speak. So, you know, it, it took me who was looking at life like this. And that course made me see it all. 
Um, and it, it, it makes conversations with people very difficult because when people start talking about things that are happening in our society and I try and say, hey, it's, it's not as simple as that. And they're like, well, yeah, it is. And I'm like, there's all these things that are factoring into it, things that you can't even see that are motivating these actions to happen. Well, I don't care. This is what the news says, or this is what I see, and this is what I believe. You know, so it's caused me to to really take a step back. And before I accuse, or before I point fingers, or before I blame, or before I do anything, I, I always start asking questions. You know, like, 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 you know, how did you get into the accident? Well, it's because, you no, know, was it because you were, well, why did you have to drive? You know, did the state fix that pothole? You know, had you voted for this guy and had this guy approved this budget and had that pothole gotten fixed, you wouldn't have ran into it and, and, and tore up your car. So it's not that you were being reckless. It's like all these 50, 20, 30 other things happen that cause, you know, the good old cause and effect. And and I think it's it's one of those things where it's a process and it takes time. And no one wants to do that. I would rather just look at that one little thing and blame that one little thing than understand the big picture and understand how all these other forces affected things that caused it. Um, and that's one of the big things we learned in school was system victim focus, which was not to look at the victim and blame the victim, but understand the system and how the system contributed and how the system set the conditions to create the victim, you know, the, but, you know, when you look at Katrina, um, and the, and the levees broke, uh, you know, and all of that flooding, you can look at all the different things of how the system, the system failed and maintenance wasn't done. You know, maybe semi shoddy concrete work was done, you know, not enough money to get enough guys to go out and inspect it. Because it's always, well, we'll deal with it next year. We'll do it with next year's budget. We'll do it with next year's budget. And those next year budgets ran out and you ended up with this with that massive catastrophe. So that school was, like I said, it was life-changing for me. Because I kind of, I'm not even going to lie, you know, I had a very narrow-minded approach to a lot of things in our society and people and life in general. And it just made me realize it, it, it was it's never that simple. Sometimes it is, but that's that's always a one-off. More times than not, there's a whole bunch of little factors that are all factoring into something taking place and something happening. Um, yeah, that's... Uh... A very interesting insight, and that sounds like the school was superb. I wish I would have been able to go to that school. And t how long was the school total? Um, school was total when I went through it. It was sixteen weeks. So the first wow. thirteen weeks was really about you, and then the last three weeks was service specific, which is where they talk about the army's policies and how you're supposed to handle procedures dealing with all that stuff. Uh, EO, Posh, and whatnot, how the Army wants you to handle it. But I tell people that that course, at the end of the day, what it does is it holds a mirror up to your face. 
and it really makes you do that. As you were talking about that introspective, that looking within, it really makes you look deep, deep, deep down inside and address your prejudices, your biases. And and again, it's like with anything, you're only going to get out of that school what you want to put in. So if you go in there and you're you're running 100 miles an hour and you just let it all out, you're go- it's going to change you. But if you go in there and you're real calculating and real choice about what you decide to do, um, you, uh, I, I don't know what it will do for you. I don't think it will do much. Um, point in case, um, my roommate, uh, black male, just like me, um, he kept getting stopped by cops while we were down there. He had, uh, so you can have some, an idea. He had Texas tags because he was coming from Fort Sam. He was a medic. He had Texas tags driving a silver Impala with mirror tent with big old 22-inch tires on it. So for all intent purposes, he had a very stereotypical car. I was driving an Acura Integra with a bike rack on the back with Colorado tags. So one day me and my roommate are talking and he's explaining to me how he's getting stopped and and all this other stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, well, dude, what do you expect? You're driving around in a car that's that's, that's like, everyone thinks they're drug dealer cars. And I was like, oh, oh my God, what did I just do? So the next day I'm in class, I'm sitting next to Mr. Bishop again. And I, and I told him what I did. I said, Mr. Bishop, hey, this is what happened to me yesterday. And I'm telling him the story. And he goes, how long did it take before you caught yourself? I said, I was about, I was about three quarters through with the thought before I caught myself. And he was like, good job. Good job. Because what I realized, I was blaming him. He had a right to have that car. He had a right to drive down the road and not be stopped. You know, he shouldn't have to buy a whole different car just so he can avoid being stopped by police. And again, it, it all goes right back to my original conversation with him and Sergeant Love that very first day at, and, and that we got to Deomi. You know, so it, it for me, like I said, it was life-changing because I can never look at anybody's instance, anybody's circumstance, or any of that stuff. I, I never look at it the same way. I'm, I'm always going to, I, it requires me to ask a lot of questions, which annoys some people because then it turns into, oh, well, you're not on my side. It's, it's not about a side. I'm trying to understand what took place and how you got here. Well, it doesn't matter. This is what's going on. And I was wrong. Okay, but I, I have to understand. Um, it changed the way I dealt with my children. <clears throat> changed the way I talked to people in stores. It, it, it changed the way I addressed uh, other soldiers, uh, family members. It it literally, like almost, you know, for me it was a significant emotional event. It 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 made me re re look at everything in my life up to that point. I had to reevaluate everything I believed and everything I was taught and everything I knew because now I was like, it's, it's all different. 
it, it, it not, not, nothing is as black and white as it, as I thought it was as a young kid and then growing up. Yeah, it's sort of been my experience as well. And it's really, I guess getting older helps with that process as well, but, um, understanding that there's way the universe is way too complicated for you to be able to distill it down into this is this this is that this is not to mention the fact that you've got nature involved you've got nurture involved you've got uh yeah you know physical and environmental things that, that are involved and luck and you know the lottery ticket of life you know the the darwinian Mm -hmm. award winner kind of thing uh not to, not to say it in a, in a derogatory way but just those those kind of factors like oh yeah there's just way too much stuff involved for for anyone on the planet whether they're the the smartest expert or the not smartest expert like you just can't distill it down like that and then so <clears throat> And I think my takeaway from from what you just said and, and that class, the course, and how it affected you is building a really deep empathy. I mean, is that a, is that a fair assessment? Do you think? I, I would say yeah, because it really makes you. Um, it it almost forces you to not look at life with blinders on and to understand all these other things. Um, and again, it doesn't absolve someone from being wrong or committing a crime, but it does allow you to say, I understand, you know, like when you're watching that movie and that character is trying to do the right thing and he can't get a job and, you know, someone cuts him off and, he, he gets to the elevator and it closes and he runs up the stairs and, and you're just sitting there going, oh man, if every bad thing could possibly happen to him for that kid is happening. And when he finally gets to that desk and the lady goes, you're too late. And he's oh, but ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I want the job. And they're like, nope, sorry. And he goes out in the street. He's hot. He's hurt. He's distraught. And that's when that guy walks up to him and says, hey, do I have a deal for you? And the next thing you know, that kid's doing something he shouldn't be doing. But we have the luxury of watching the movie and saying, man, you saw all those things happening that that led to where he just, he gave up and just said, you know what, I'm just going to take the easy path of least resistance. Um, so that's kind of what that school did for me was it made me look for all those, all those things that factored into it. And again, I'm not saying, you know, you're right for committing crimes or, or, or what have you. But what I am saying is I can understand the factors that may have pushed you to the edge where you felt that was your only option and that's all you had. And then you just went and did what you did. And, you know, now you're in jail or, 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 or now you're broke or now you got fired from your job or what have you. So for me, it, it, it allows you to not only be empathetic, but it allows you to understand. I don't have to agree, but I do understand.
yeah, I would I, I have this this nagging urge to to pull on the thread and go deeper down the hole on that on that whole topic. I think we could probably turn that into a podcast of its own, and I would actually would probably enjoy it very much. Uh, and I do want to point yeah. out, as you were talking before, uh, before I asked the second question, like I had a very, very vivid uh, deja vu moment. So I think we were meant to to meet each other and meant to come across paths and meant to be in this conversation together because really it just came, came to me all at once. Um, I do want to ask you a couple more questions and I do want to be respectful of your time. And I know sure. we had some little technical issues. Um, but, uh, if you'll indulge me for a few more minutes, I got plenty of time. I got no place to be. Okay. Um, let me ask you if there was a circumstance that came up where all responsibilities were out the window. Of course, you got to pay the bills. You got to keep the kids fed and, you know, walk the dog and all that stuff, but all the other responsibilities work and all this other stuff in life and you had kind of a, a Anthony Bourdain, no reservations kind of situation come up. What would you be doing with that time? Like, how would you fill that time? Or would you even fill that time? Would you just say, eh, and take a, take a nap? Man, that's a good question. So what I'm hearing you say is how would I, if 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 life was limited, what would I be doing, or what, how would I spend the, the my last remaining time? No, actually, well, I mean that's another good question too. But actually, like if life was unlimited, if you had absolutely no responsibilities to a job or anything else like that, and you just had this unlimited amount of oh, okay. time and resources, what what would you do with that time and resources? Oh God, man! I would I would probably try some of everything at this stage of my life. Um, I mean, I, I I've traveled quite a bit within the military, um, but I would go to uh, I definitely go to Ireland. I want to go to Dingle, Ireland. Uh, that's where my name comes from, so I I got to go there one day. Um, uh, traveling the mountains. Uh, Go to England, never been there before. Go back to Germany. Uh, maybe take a trip to Africa. Uh, um, learn learn to play the drums. I started doing that. Then get then get to finish that. Um, I, I I would just I would definitely want to do something where I could help people too. And, and inspire them. Uh, but man, there would, there would just be so many things um, with unlimited resources and, um, you know, take, take a bunch of random kids that are unfortunate and, you know, take them to Disneyland or Six Flags or something. You know, uh, someone who's struggling in school, get them a tutor. Um, you know, that that mom or dad that's struggling because they're, they can't pay their legal fees and, and, you know, help them get a lawyer. Um, just, I don't know, unlimited resources. I, I would definitely do some traveling and, and definitely want to experience 
some other cultures outside of the cultures that I, I've already been exposed to. On on the lines of traveling, have you did you get to experience any space age travel in your time in the military? As a as a kid, but not as an adult. Okay. I mean, uh, I, I understand. We had a, you know, we had some guys that would use it back in the day. Um, but you know, we were we were so we were thinking so small, and so focused on our little world. We never thought of, hey, man. Once you run down to one of the Air Force bases and catch a hop and go here or go there, um, you know, never thought about stuff like that. We understood we could do it, but most of us never bothered to. If you were allotted a tweet or a, say, a LinkedIn post and you had basically two two sentences, one or two sentences to put out a message to the world, of course, barring like some kind of commercial advertisement or anything like that, but just a really solid right. message that you would want to put somebody in about one to two sentences and you knew it was going to reach 5 million or 10 million eyeballs. What would that message be? Um, if I had two sentences, it would definitely be two of my favorite things to say. Uh, one of them I learned in school with Diomi. And that one is listen for understanding, not agreement. And the second one was a DJ in the Louisville area. He would always sign off with this same quote. And I understood the quote, but it confused me all at the same time. And it wasn't until it was like some years later that I was thinking about the quote and it smacked me in the face. And I was like, I knew, I knew there was a meaning to it. Now I understand it. And the quote says, if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. And like I said, for That's the longest, I just, I, I knew, I knew, I was like, I think I know what it's trying to say, but I'm not really sure. And it, 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 it would confuse me. And then one day it just was like, it's really simplistic. If you can't change the people around you, then you need to change the people around you. And I was like, okay, I get it now. And ever since then, I love, I, I love those two, those two things: the listen for understanding, not agreement, and the if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. Those are both really beautiful quotes. I like that second one even better. That's uh, it's really in line with with my mentality. Yeah. Lately, yeah. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that maybe is important to you that you want to bring up and talk about or anything like that that I haven't covered uh, to this point? I, I think I touched on it, and and I made a I made a when I was at the racetrack I made a uh, I made a TikTok talking about it. Just I I, I just wish more veterans wouldn't live in this small bubble of the military world and 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 let the military world be be their everything to the point where when it's time to leave this behind they can't function you know they 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 go in groups and they're i can't make any friends and i you know i can't find a job where i feel worthwhile and all these things and my attitude is 
every job you have, you should feel worthwhile. We, we, you know, I don't understand that. I worked as a janitor. After I retired and I was in college, um, I wanted to buy some parts for my motorcycle. And I told my wife, hey, I'm going to go get a job, you know, so I can have some spending money. She's like, okay, just don't do more than you can handle. And I basically ended up getting a job as a janitor at a skating rink. I had a great time. I had the DJ booth. I had my own playlist. But I had a friend come to me and be like, I can't believe you were a master sergeant and a first sergeant in the army. And you're a janitor right now. And I was like, oh, pump your brakes. I said, I'm a college student. I said, I only have this job so I can buy motorcycle parts. I was like, I know where I'm going. I'm going to get there. I was like, but dude, I'm not in charge of anybody. I said, no one tells me what to do. No one questions me. I said, I got this whole facility to myself for four and a half, five hours in the morning. I was like, this is, this is the easiest thing in the world. I said, and it allows me maximum time for my studies, internships, and everything else. So I made friends doing that job, and I was good at it. My purpose was to keep that facility spick and span, so to speak. That was my purpose. That was my mission. I wasn't concerned with what everybody else was doing. I focused on what I was doing. And when I moved on to the next job working for Big Brothers Big Sisters, same attitude. What can I do to make the organization better? I'm gonna I'm gonna do these things, you know, and so on and so forth. When I made friends because of my motorcycle, none of those guys were military. They were all regular dudes, but we all love the same motorcycle. So that became that linchpin. I didn't go there talking about, oh, I was in the Army and I was a Cav Scout. Most of the guys, we didn't even bother talking about what we did. It was all about, hey, hey, man, you got to get this new exhaust system. You know, I put a power commander on mine, this, that, and the third. This is where you can get these parts from for cheap, you know. And we, we created this huge bond now. Every August, we all meet up in the mountains at the tail of the dragon and we ride. Um, there's, there's, there's a couple guys that were in the military. Uh, there's a guy that was in the Marine Corps. There was a guy that retired Air Force. I'm retired Army. There's a guy that works as a machinist. There's a guy that's a plumber. There's a guy that's an electrician. There's a guy that collects, um, uh, like automobiles and, and, and things of that nature. One guy, he's a musician in Billy Idol's band. He plays like about eight or nine different instruments. And he's been he's been touring with Billy Idol for like the last 10 years. And I'm like, had I not had this motorcycle, I, I would have never been in the circles to meet some of these guys because we don't travel in the same circles. But now, because of one thing, we do. So I tell guys, hey man, if you're into sh if you're into hunting, shooting, boating, cars, it, it doesn't matter. Go on Facebook, find you a group, and start talking with people. Make friends that their world doesn't evolve around military service. When I'm around my military buddies, yeah, sometimes we get together and we tell some war stories and we crack jokes. But most of the time, most people don't even know I served in the Army. I don't have 
if I'm riding in my pickup truck, um, I've got motorcycle stickers and I got a couple uh, military emblems on it. On my car, there's nothing that says I was in the military. Sometimes I wear military airborne t-shirts. Sometimes I don't. But I, I think I, I learned that from my dad, that when my father walked away from the military, he left it all behind. He didn't look back. Um, so I tell people, man, if, when you leave, leave, leave with a smile on your face. It's okay to have conversations, but don't make that your personality. Because when you don't have it anymore, then who are you? And I think that's when a lot of our our peers find difficulty functioning is perhaps as Colin Powell, one of Colin Powell's rules, um, don't place your ego so close to your position that when your position falls, so does your ego. You know, don't 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 place your your self worth in, in being a soldier or, or or an airman or a sailor or a marine. So that way, when you're no longer that, you you, you don't know who you are. Um, that that would be the last the, the 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 one thing I would love to drill into service members is enjoy your time, love what you do, but at the end of the day, understand. That when you step out that door, people are going to miss you for five minutes. And 10 minutes later, they're going to forget all about you. And that organization is going to keep right on moving along. So, so when you leave, leave. Nothing wrong with calling people, you know, and you want to come over for a barbecue, you know, things of that nature. But don't just go sit, sit in your room. And, and cry yourself to sleep every night because, you know, you, you don't have anything, you know? Yeah. And I want to, I want to segue into kind of a, like the last, last question, maybe, maybe not the last question, but we'll see. Um, as far as that concerned, can I ask you how you feel about personal brand and how important it is to you and how you've gone about building your personal brand because that's how we met i found you on tiktok and we connected and started chatting and yeah uh, i i reach out to people there because of the fact that they understand like kind of social media and the way things work but how is that how do you look at it and, and maybe how has that affected your business slash you know other endeavors and that Um, I, I, I was so anti TikTok for the longest time. Um, I didn't want nothing to do with it. I thought it was stupid. I didn't really, and honestly, I was just being ignorant. I didn't understand it. I didn't want to understand it. I was like, I'm on Facebook. That's all I need. I got, I got Instagram. I like, I love taking pictures and posting pictures of my life. I don't need freaking TikTok. It's stupid. And, and. I came across a video of a gentleman and uh, he was, he was, he was, you know, kind of like almost like motivational speaking type stuff or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, wow. And then, you know, uh, of course the algorithm takes over and I started seeing all these chicks and booties and, and I had a coworker that was explaining to me how the algorithm worked and if, 
if I didn't want to see that stuff anymore, how I could get rid of it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to see that. I, I, I want to see more people. And then I discovered Mill Talk and went down that rabbit hole. And I was like, well, you know, I, 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 I kind of got some tips I could give some young soldiers about all the stuff I learned. And then me and my buddy started having some really good conversations about, man, you know, it's like, man, if we would have known some of these things back when we were young sergeants and staff sergeants, because imagine what we could have done. And he was like, nobody was telling us these things. Nobody was telling us, oh, go get this book at clothing sales and read it. You know, nobody was telling us, go do this and go do that. He was like, man, we were just, we were just out there just blindly running around. I was like, yeah. So I was like, well, maybe I can, maybe I can create a platform where I can, I can, I can impart a little bit of wisdom and guidance and help some soldiers avoid some of the pitfalls that we ran into. And then I was like, well, I'm doing a counseling thing and I would love to, you know, give some fatherly advice and things of that nature. So I ended up creating two TikTok accounts. One of them was supposed to be a very serious, you know, giving guidance and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then the other one was just kind of like, just me being who I am, just this random guy. Today I'm talking about politics. Tomorrow I'm talking about motorcycles. The next day I'm talking about planes, you know, just random thoughts of random stuff because my life can be kind of random. And I just started making these random videos. Some of them would do well, others wouldn't. And I was like, I don't really understand this, but whatever. And it, it all came really funny when my son, who's in Florida, messaged me. And he goes, hey, Danny's brother found your TikTok. And I'm like, yeah. And he's mad at you. I'm like, why? What's, what's up with that? And he goes, Danny, and he, my son was laughing because, you know, it's, it's funny as he's telling me, he goes, Danny's brother's like, I've been on TikTok for X amount of time. And I've got like, you know, 300 followers or whatever it was. And he was like, your dad's been on TikTok like three weeks and he's already at like 2,000 followers or, or whatever the number was. And he was like, that's so unfair. And I just started laughing because I hadn't thought about it. And I looked, and I was like, wow, man, I, I kind of got a lot of people following me. And I was like, so I, I do my best not to do anything that would be out of character for me. So I try to avoid cursing. Um, I, I, I try not to be offensive or, or belittling or downputting. But I am very opinionated. Uh, I do believe in giving you the the truth and telling you, you know, uh, okay, I see what you're saying, but did you think about this over here? Just something to think about. Uh, when the young soldiers would come on there complaining, you know, I, okay, give me three solutions to that problem. Don't take it the wrong way. I'm just telling you what a sergeant major told me. Sergeant major told me if I didn't have three viable solutions, to get out of his office and stop complaining. And I took that to heart so much that that's another one of my mantras now. If I see a problem, I won't complain about it unless I can think of three things I could do that would make it better. I talk to my kids about that. I talk to young young people I mentor. Um, so 
my brand is kind of just random, but it's just, it's, it's, it's really me. Um, and I, I love talking with people. I love understanding. I love looking at things from a different perspective. So I do a lot of that with, uh, with, with some of my content, which is just random. And the stuff that takes off is always the stuff that I, I would, I don't care that it take off. The stuff that I'm like, yeah, this is a good one. This is what everybody needs to watch. I'll get like 200, 200 views. And then the stuff where I'm just cracking a joke and talking about the back at brag days or whatever, that's the stuff that ends up with like 40,000 views. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not trying to do it for money, so I don't, I don't have to worry about it. But um, I, I think these platforms are, I think these platforms have the potential to do a whole lot of good when they're in the hands of people who want to do good. Um, when they were, the army was talking about recruiting problems, I, I, I was like, the army, the, the army has a recruiting problem because they're stuck on doing it this way. And maybe if they talked to young people or maybe if they went back and talked to some retirees and said, hey, looking back at your career, what would have made things better? Oh, I know that. Hey, when you hit the 10-year mark, give them a bonus. So you know what? If you sign up and you're going to do, you're going to guarantee another 10 years and you're going to automatically, at a minimum, get to 20 years, give them like a $20,000 bonus. You can't spend it right now. It has to go in your TSP for your future. Okay. I, I can do 10 years knowing that I can invest 20 grand on top of what I'm already investing. Because if I do the math, I'm like, hey, man, when I hit 20, if I was to get out the army, I'll have X amount. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. I was like, you know, small things like that, I think, would do wonders for recruiting. Reaching back, because the military is a family business. I don't care what anybody says. Half of the people, a large number of the people who serve are serving because someone they personally know served. And they got to see what their life was like and say, hey, you know what? Got it. My dad served. My uncle was in the Navy. My 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 dad's my dad's cousin was in the Air Force. He retired. Um, their other little cousin was in the Army. His cousin, his other cousin was in the Army. My little cousin joined the Army. My other little cousin joined the Air Force. My other cousin joined the Army. My other cousin joined the Marine Corps. Um... And that's just off the top of my head. So that's like three different generations of service in the military from, from one big family. And we all knew about the military because someone said, oh, yeah, another cousin was in the Navy. Because someone said, hey, if you're going to go in, look at this job, this job, and just stop. Stay away from these things over here. And here's why. And then they all went in, and they all did well. So uh, I think that's part of the, the issue is if you want someone to, to talk about the military, find those people who served and talk to, talk to everybody. Talk to the people about, that didn't have good careers and talk to the ones that did and, and get them to be honest. Well, I had a bad career because unfortunately I got, I got stationed at this place we didn't have a very good commander. They, we were always in the field. I got burnt out. 
and you know, my wife left me. I, I got this bad attitude, so I, I jumped ship. Okay, that's fair. It happens, that's life. Well, what about you? Hey, man, you know, I was in this kind of unit and it was lackluster. When it came time to re-enlist, I re-enlisted and I went to airborne school and I got to Fort Bragg and wow, my career took off. Here I am, you know, I'm a Sergeant Major now or I'm a Colonel or whatever. And I had a great career or I had some good mentors and they told me some things to do. So I, I think one of the best recruiting tools is to talk to people and just get the word out. You know, just that type of thing is what's going to get you to the the, the other side, in, in my opinion. Um, and these platforms, this is where the young people are. This is where you got to reach them at. And, and I think for some people, they're afraid of that. They don't want to, well, I don't, I don't feel I should have to do all of this. Well, this is where the young folks are. This is where you need to meet them at. You know, this these are these little TikTok videos. Um, there's a guy on here called uh, Coach Coach True's Coach True's Daddy. I watched some of his content and some of the videos that he's made that are like uh, little vignettes or whatnot for the hundred and first. They're they're professional grade. I mean, they look better than the commercials that are on TV. And I'm like, see. Here, here they are. You've got a guy who's got his pulse on a huge swath of soldiers. You guys would be fools not to be grabbing that guy and, and, and getting him to show you what you should be doing to pull these young kids to come into the military. But, you know, the Army wants to do Army stuff. And the Army wants to be Army, so I, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but the, these platforms have the ability to get the mission accomplished. You, you just got to be willing to, 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 to do it, you know? At least that's the way I look at it. I know that's kind of a long answer. <laughs> no, that's what we do around here. We do long answers. <laughs> okay. No, I just, I mean, that, that's definitely a question that I ask people, but I also, I wanted to highlight it in your specific case because you do put out a lot of, interesting content, a lot of good content. You do get into the weeds sometimes about um, really hard topics. I mean, sometimes it's light, but sometimes it's not. But I, I, and, and if you haven't yet, please do go sign up for threads and just connect your Instagram account to that and start using that platform. It's, it's in its infancy. It just started. There's a hundred million eyeballs there and nobody knows how to use it yet. So it's a, it's a level playing field right now. Go oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Imagine if you got on the first week when Snapchat started. Hmm. Or got on TikTok when the first week when TikTok started, right? Yeah. Same same situation. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I appreciate you giving me all that information about the that you're you're absolutely and I, I think they're starting to get it right. Like the army's starting to get it. The Air Force definitely gets it. The Navy's pretty good at it. The Army's starting to get it a little bit better, and they're getting at least stuff out on YouTube and at least stuff out on some of the other social media platforms. But yeah, you're right. You got to meet you got to meet your audience where they're at. Whether it's you trying to pitch to the people you're trying to recruit or you trying to pitch out to 
uh, a job or a industry that you're trying to get in contact with, you have to be a part of that conversation. And that's kind of the, the lever point to do it is to do it through social media or do it through a platform um, and be part of the conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's one of our social work um, things, which is uh, meet meet the client where they are. But uh, I greatly thank you for uh, for inviting me on here. This is pretty cool. I, I I've kicked around trying to do podcasts. I don't know enough about them, and we've got some friends that are like, "Man, y'all should do some podcasts." And I'm like, uh, "I think maybe one day I can get around to it. I'll I'll, I'll try and figure it out." But uh, I, well, I, I tell think you they're what, pretty cool. I tell you what, if you really, really, really want to, because that's that the topics that you deal with, with, uh, I'm sure it definitely gets into like mental health and things like that, the the counseling and, and the yeah. stuff that you do. I am a thousand percent in tune with that stuff. And if you ever wanted to sit down and figure out a podcast and figure out a, a, a way to structure it and things like that and wanted to do one, I'd be more than more than happy to do a podcast with you like that. Okay. Appreciate that. Yeah. So just let me know. That'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, that's all we have for us. Uh, if there's anything else, feel free to let me know. But uh, what I did want to do is capture, like, if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, where can they find you? And if they wanted to find out more about what you do in the, in the social kind of helping space and counseling space, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, um, well, my email for my, for counseling, the easiest way to catch me, uh, is, is, is one way is, is good old email. And that's, uh, my email is life designs with JD at yahoo.com. Um, and then of course, um, I'm on TikTok um, and I answer, I mean, if someone reaches out to me and, and I can see that they're genuine and not a bot, <clears throat> I respond. Um, so uh, Jerome Dingle, a.k.a. Finding JYD or Duck Hunter 996. <clears throat> and then I'm on Instagram, uh, Duck Hunter 996. Um, that's my motorcycle nickname. So, uh, but, um, and then of course, my name, I am who I am. And there's a picture of me as, as my Facebook picture. So you, you would know it's me, but uh, Jerome Dingle. But uh, definitely email Instagram, uh, reach out via TikTok. Um, a young man asked me about joining the military in his 30s. I said, give me about five questions, and uh, I'll make a video, and I'll answer all of them for you, giving you, you know, my take on, on, on what you might want to think about and what you might need to be successful if you're coming in at the age of 30. Um, so just like you, um, I... I, I I have this passion to want to give back to our community. And uh, anytime someone sticks a hand out um, and is asking for a hand or wants to shake, hey, I'm there. I don't, I don't mind at all because I didn't get where I was at. I didn't get to be as successful as I am because no one looked out for me. People looked out for me. People pulled me through doors. People opened doors or held doors open for me. Um, and I would be... I would be a horrible person if I did not return. Uh, as they say, I did, if I did not pay it forward, I, I would just not be a good person. 
Well, I appreciate you coming on and I really, really thank you for your time, Jerome. You've been really generous with me with your time and your and your kind words and your your uh opening up and, and giving us a little bit of the inside baseball of who you are as a person. And uh so I just want to say thank you. And I will make sure that everything we talked about is in the show notes, whether it's books or links or any kind of things like that will definitely be in there. There'll be timestamps so you can jump around if you need to jump around for all the folks out there on the interwebs who may or may not be watching this or listening to it on a podcast platform. And with that, uh, thank you again. And it was a pleasure of mine. And like I said, if you, if you want to, we can, we can sit down and brainstorm some other podcast stuff. Most definitely. Most definitely. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much. And I uh, will talk to you later and everybody else out there be safe and see you next time. All righty.